Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. The title of my sermon, which will be on your notes, The Age of Confusion, Illusion, Delusion, and Why You Should Have Seen This Coming. First of all, the Bible does speak very definitely about the last days. Jesus spoke about the last days. Paul spoke about the subject of the last days. And just to kind of get us a, a little kickstart here, I, I have mentioned this before, but because we always have a, a mixed congregation and sometimes a rotating congregation, I can sometimes preach the same thing twice and new people will hear it. But here's just a point I want to make. For those of you who heard it twice, you're just double blessed. That's okay. Two modern myths about the end times. Please keep this in mind. Take it seriously. The first myth that we, follow, uh, that we fall for is that, that real common but unbiblical concept that says, uh, doesn't the Bible say that in the last time the weather's going to be all messed up and you won't be able to tell one season from another? No. Point number two. that earthquakes and national disasters are going to be on the increase. It doesn't say that either. Uh, but there will be earthquakes in diverse places. And it doesn't necessarily mean, as I've often thought it would mean and wanted it to mean, that in the last days that earthquakes are just going to pick up in, in frequency. Now, they may. It doesn't say it will. It doesn't say they will. It doesn't say they won't. It just mentions that in the last days there will be earthquakes in diverse places. Now, the significance of that is two things. Number one, that uh, in the end times, things are not going to get any better. The earth is not going to heal itself. We're not going to finally be done with natural disasters. Uh, these things are just going to go on. And when we have bad conditions on earth in, in uh, maybe economics, uh, or uh, uh, governmental suppression, or wars, or uh, on top of all that, Mother Nature hasn't calmed down. You're still going to have your earthquakes. So that's, that's, number one, describing the last days are, are not going to be any better than the old days. It's just going to be a lot of problems to have to deal with. The second point of mentioning that is, with the increase of the population of the earth, any earthquake activity we're going to have is going to be, have a greater impact because we are covering the earth with people. Whereas perhaps there had been a time when many uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, earthquakes, uh, tsunamis could have happened around the world and affected less of the population. More and more people are going to be impacted by these things, so we will become more and more aware of it. And as we see these things happening, uh, and we see the thousands of people often that are affected by that, that brings great impact on us. We grieve the loss of people. We grieve the, I mean, we're burdened by the expenses uh, uh, to cover the damages that are uh, done, uh, islands that are wiped out. And we feel that very intensely. These will all be a part 
of the end times as well. And then there's the uh, behavior of people in the last days. People are going to react a number of different ways, uh, according to the Bible, to the events of the last day. Now, there's going to be some people who will despair, and their hearts are just going to faint. Jesus said, men's hearts failing them uh, for fear, for looking after those things that are coming up on the earth. And one of the wrong ways to interpret that is some have suggested heart attacks are going to be on the increase. Well, heart attacks may indeed be on the increase. Maybe we're eating ourselves into that condition. Maybe our lifestyle, maybe our inert lifestyle. But that's not what Jesus was predicting when he said men's hearts failing them because in context it says men's hearts failing them for fear, not for cholesterol. So there's going to be something coming in the last days that it doesn't mean literally the heart. It just means that the spirit of man just giving up And that's the implication of that. Some people in the last days, their hearts will wax cold. So it's the same kind of a heart in the previous one. It's not the physical heart that's going to get cold. It's the spirits of men, the will of people. There will be some people in the last days that will just be scoffers of the conditions. And Peter describes it as people standing up and derisively saying, Where is the promise of his coming? As though he hasn't come yet, therefore he's not coming, and you people were wrong all along. Some people, Jesus said, are going to endure in the end. And Paul warns us in the last days, perilous times will come. Those are shocking words. Then he gave us this descriptive list of the intensity of sin in the last days. And this is one of those passages of Scripture you should have had an opportunity to open your Bible to. He describes it this way. He says, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, heady, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now, is there anything in that list that man has never been before? We've always been those things. But once again, the point being that in the last days, you cannot anticipate as time goes on, people are going to get better. They're not going to get better. They've always been like that, and they're still going to be like that in the last days. So if you've got the last days with corrupt people, and you've got the last days with the natural disasters that are going to happen, we're just painting a picture that it's not going to get better. It simply isn't. As a matter of fact, it will probably get worse simply because of the increase of the population. Because the more people you have, the more bad people you have. And the more bad people you have, the whole world is impacted by that. But that's not the end of it. Paul told the congregation at Thessalonica, as he, I said he loved to speak of the end times, he said, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or or by word, or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. He's warning them, don't think that you missed it. 
Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, and that's a very specific word, a very specific expression, that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, two things, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. We will come back to that chapter in just a little bit. But there's two things of importance there, and that is, number one, don't panic. You didn't miss it. And number two, there's a couple of things that are going to happen before that comes, and that there's going to be a falling away. That should be a big alert for us. Who falls away? Only the people that are up here. The sinners don't fall away. They're already down there. So you are up here. That's us. That means among us and among our peers, the prophecy of the Bible says there's going to be a falling away. I'm not happy with that. I want revival. But my concern as a pastor is many people in the last days are going to give it up, walk away from the relationship with God. Am I fighting a losing battle if it's prophesied it's going to happen? Well, I don't know. I'm fighting to keep people propped up. I'm fighting to keep you encouraged. I'm working hard to keep you prepared for the last days so you don't get hit sideways and taken by surprise. I don't want you to fall away. I don't want to fall away myself. That is part of my, my work, and my passion. Keep everybody strong and faithful to the end. The third thing, condition of the last days, according to the Bible, is this disturbance of society and governments. Jesus himself said there's going to be worldwide unrest. He said nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now that is something that we're seeing that hasn't always been a definite mark of previous eras. Sure, there's always been wars, but the smaller our world gets the more tension there is between nations. We're invading each other's space technologically, if not physically. We are putting our nose in other people's business around the world, and we didn't have the ability to do that hundreds of years ago. There could be skirmishes happen on the other side of the planet that nations on this side didn't know anything about or care anything about, but we're, we're just closed. We've shrunk the world down. To where now, just a little tension in one area just has shock waves everywhere. We know that to be a type and a sign of the of the last days. Jesus said, "Nation would rise against nation, kingdom would rise against kingdom. There would be wars." and rumors of wars, and then he added this piece of advice, which this is what I, I want to, to solidify with you today, because I'm going to tell you some very disturbing things, but I don't want you to be disturbed by it. Jesus said, don't panic. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Now, that's, that's one of those good news and bad news things. I've got some good news for you. These things have to happen. 
But the end's not going to be immediate. That means the things are going to keep going on for a long time. And furthermore, Jesus said there would be distress of nations. Distress of nations. And I could not even scratch the surface of the distress of nations that we're seeing today around the world. But I can just remind you of a few. The Middle East is absolutely a hotbed of wars and skirmishes, even as we speak. Sectarian violence is raging in Iraq. Egypt is a mess with the recent overthrow of Morsi, who had taken the place on the overthrow of Mubarak. In the Syrian civil war, over 100,000 people have been killed. Now, just imagine, I mean, we, we can probably process 100,000 people being killed if we put it in the theater of foreign war. We would probably be hard to put our brain around 100,000 people being killed here in the United States if it were a natural, natural catastrophe. We'd go into national mourning. But can you even begin to imagine 100,000 be, people being killed here in our United States by our own civil war? That's something we're not accustomed to. But that's what's happening in these countries. They're seeing their own people die at the hands of their own people. Making... The Syrian civil war, the worst humanitarian crisis since the 1994 genocide in Rwanda that many of you well remember. The Syrian conflict is in danger of spilling over into Lebanon. Israel stands virtually alone against its violent and bitter enemies and taking it upon themselves to send waves of planes into these countries to take out their weapons depots and their nuclear reactors and their stockpiles of chemical weaponry just because they want to feel safe and they don't want to wait for an attack. And they're doing it almost by themselves. So in this shrunken world, it's not just the Middle East that is smoldering. Russia has positioned themselves with the Syrian regime and thus, by doing so, placing the U.S. at opposition there, here in our own country. I know that we all are keenly aware we're just sitting on a powder keg here. In Congress, one stood up on the floor just in the past week and said, we should impose martial law to get a handle on things. Did you ever think you would hear that? We have the ability to do that. But did you think that you would hear people in our legislative body recommending it's time now to bring out martial law? But I don't want you to panic. States are defying federal government. And the federal government is posed to be able to, to uh, go against the states in whatever fashion is necessary to bring them in compliance. And there's a tension here that is getting ready to break. They're threatening not only to sue the states, but to use physical power. Five counties in western Maryland are right now petitioning for the right to secede and form their own state. Ten counties in northern Colorado are petitioning for the right to secede from their state. Siskiyou and Modoc counties, which bordered on the county of Shasta, where the wife and I lived for about ten years, are now petitioning to form their own state called the state of Jefferson. 
There are murmurings in the upper peninsula of Michigan to secede from the state and rid themselves of the association with the conflicting politics of the metropolitan areas of Lansing and Detroit. And an even more shocking move is the leftist populace of Vermont have drafted a manifesto of the Second Vermont Republic that states citizens... Lend your names to this manifesto to join in the honorable task of rejecting the immoral, corrupt, decaying, dying, failing American empire and seeking its rapid and peaceful dissolution before it takes us all down with it. This is unrest. We have never in the history of the United States since the days of the Civil War seen such unrest and division in our country. But we're living in perilous times. 2,000 years ago, Jesus understood that the swelling population of our planet, coupled with this modern trend of godlessness, would throw the nations into this maddening frenzy. And that would be a condition marked by war and strife and economic collapse, collapse and total chaos. But it's not the entire picture. Another thing that concerns me is the massive deception and the confusion that will dominate the end times. We're entering that era that is an era of confusion and illusion and delusion. Now, I've just set up some of the earmarks of the end times. Now I want to talk about the deceptive spirit of this age. And this is where I feel it's very important for everybody to pay close attention to what God's Word has to say to us. We're living in an age where there will be great delusions coming. There are delusions here, and there are great delusions coming. Now delusions as distinct from illusions. But in the second chapter of the letter to the Thessalonians, which I had referred to briefly before, is devoted largely to the subject of the coming of the wicked one. Antichrist, we would call him. Now, just a word of clarification. Are you aware that the word Antichrist, if you would all be willing to use the King James Version for uniformity, is only mentioned uh, by one writer and only mentioned four times, and the plural Antichrists makes it five times, all of those being found in the short epistles of John. And only once does John use the term to specifically refer to the character whom we know as Antichrists, and the rest of the time he uses that word, he always uses it in reference to the spirit of Antichrist that is already in the world, and to the people who are liars, and those who are liars and deceptive, they are Antichrists. And he makes that case, but only once in the five times he uses that word or a form of that word, only once is he referring to the man Antichrist. But that doesn't mean that's the only time Antichrist, the person, the character, is mentioned in Scripture. It means it's the only time that that name is used. Now, in Daniel, Antichrist is described as the contemptible person who will obtain his kingdom by flatteries. Daniel also describes him as that little horn that comes up after the ten horns and violently plucks up three horns by the roots. He had eyes like a man and a mouth that spoke great swelling things. For those of you who want to know symbolically what the horns traditionally mean, well, I think those that like to study eschatology, 
uh, would generally agree that the ten horns represent ten kingdoms, that the little horn that comes up among the ten, ten kingdoms then begins to overthrow them, but only has to overthrow three of them and, until the rest of them just concede and come under his authority. Now that's all that is about is the rise of Antichrist and how little power he has to use and force he has to use before the rest of the kingdoms uh, comply with him. That's on a limited scale. That's, that's, not, uh, that's just ten king, kingdoms uh, within what we would consider the, what used to be the Roman Empire. We would call it a revised Roman Empire today. And I don't want to get so technical here that I lose you. I don't want to lose you on this. I've got to keep you connected. But just a word of explanation, that's how Daniel refers to Antichrist. Micah and Isaiah call him the Assyrian. Paul called him the man of lawlessness. He called him the son of destruction. He called him the man of sin. And in your King James Version, he called him that wicked. Now, that's kind of an awkward statement as translated in in uh, English, you would say that wicked man, that wicked person, that wicked one, but it just simply translated that wicked, capital W. That's what Paul referred to him as in the second chapter of Second Thessalonians. In Revelation, he's the beast that rises up out of the sea, and that beast makes a peace pact with Israel. He then turns on them and breaks that peace pact, takes over their temple, puts up his own image in the temple and forces those to worship him. That's called the desolation, uh, abomination of desolation, standing in the holy place that Jesus said was spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Revelation also gives us a shocking picture of Antichrist setting himself up to be God, so he is so taken with himself, he orders an image of himself to be placed in the temple by the Jews. He himself is deluded. That's a part of the delusion of the last days. Is this very powerful man thinking himself to be greater than he really is. The great delusion that is coming. And Paul talks about the arrival and the work and the nature of this man of sin. As I take you back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And he finishes his thought in, his thought in this very descriptive and detailed passage on Antichrist by saying, starting in the 8th verse, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. That is the second coming of Jesus when he comes back and puts an end to the tyrannical reign of Antichrist. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them, are you reading along with me? Strong delusion. I said it is an age of strong delusion. Not only is this man deluded, but it's an age where God said, if these people are not going to listen to truth, I will send strong delusion because that's what they're craving. They're not wanting to hear the truth. They're wanting to hear lies. I'll give them lies. They can have it. He said, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That's why it's important we understand in the last days what do we need to be doing? We need to be having clarity and, and uh, in our perception, in our understanding. Because we don't want to believe, buy into a bunch of little lies that makes us candidate for buying into the big lies that are coming. 
It's very, very important. We very, very discriminating and very accurate in our understanding. That's why I'm calling upon you today. Be careful in what you buy into. Don't buy into everything that sounds fancy and fun. Don't even do it on the Christian level. You got, we've got some of the worst junk coming out on Christian TV by self-appointed wannabe theologians that get up and they say something and it sounds so clever and they've packaged it in a nice little neat phrase that people go away and they start repeating it, parroting it like it's biblical truth. And it sometimes is it's devastation. It's theological devastation. We can't be buying into this stuff because anybody that rehearses believing lies and falsehoods is a candidate for believing bigger lies and bigger falsehoods. We want to cut through to the truth. He says, in this cause, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all be damned who believe not the truth. But they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, here's the important point. In the last days, people will reject the clear and simple truth. And God will send them a strong delusion. The working of error is the way that is, is more literally translated. If they reject the truth, they'll be given a full dose of lies that they can then feast on. Number two, the end days are going to be days of illusions. Things are not going to be quite as they seem. If you don't have the discernment, the power to cut through and see the truth, you will fall for the illusions. Now, people are gullible. It's amazing how illusions can make believers out of seemingly intelligent people. But you have, you have people that hold these seminars and and they uh, they come out and 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 they will do something totally ridiculous, like pretend that they're channeling somebody from another age, and people are paying big bucks to sit there and watch these people channel something, somebody in a different voice. We would we would almost like to say, well, they're demon possessed, but they're charlatans. And people are paying big bucks to sit there and watch that as though they're going to get some benefit out of listening to the wisdom put forth by this person that's channeling some character from a distant past, some spirit. People are gullible. They're just gullible. And then you've got, peop you've got people that, that are like magicians, illusionists. And people are so gullible that sometimes when these illusionists do these illusions, some people are convinced it really did that. You know what I mean? Like when somebody floats... Uh, and they said, I saw it with my own eyes. I'm telling you, he floated. And the people call themselves illusionists. Doesn't that tell us something? It's an illusion. And because we are so prone to be fooled by illusions, this is going to be a great tool used by hell to fool people. And I have to deal with this from time to time as a pastor. As people will buy into something that is nothing but an illusion from hell. And I have to say, do not believe that. It's not true. But they've already bought into it. And it's hard to turn their mind around sometimes. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Now, brothers and sisters, 
about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. There's an illusion right there. They are thinking and hoping and promoting and talking about peace and safety when destruction is right at the door. Paul is making this this stark contrast. How in the world can you believe there's peace and safety when the doom and the destruction is right there? Because people like to believe in illusions. They don't like to deal with reality sometimes. We can see elements of that in this day and age. We know the world's in great distress. There are still those who refuse to acknowledge the grave danger we're in. They believe peace plans and pacts and treaties and unilateral agreements and diplomacy and the doctrine of tolerance and implication of political correctness is going to usher in peace. But I I can tell you one thing. The Bible says that things are going to get worse and worse. It'll wax worse and worse. People are going to grow more evil. And about the time people think that we're, on, we're just on the verge of peace and safety here, not according to Jesus, when he said it's not going to be a day and age whenever they're going to find peace through peace talks. He said it's going to be a day and age when they can't get control and there's going to be wars, and there's going to be rumors of more wars coming, and there's going to be distress of nations, and there's going to be kingdom against kingdom, and, and, and nation against nation. That doesn't sound like peace to me. It's an illusion. If anybody thinks we're going to get punched through this thing and everything is going to calm down and be all right, the bottom line is there's nothing during the end times. When the world is sitting on this powered keg and mad men serve as dictators over entire nations that will ever usher in peace. And that's why the coming of the Lord is so powerfully significant. Because in this day and age, when people desperately want peace but cannot obtain it, in the age when nations are at each other's throats, In that age when irresponsible tyrants pursue nuclear arms, not for their own protection, but sometimes for the sole purpose of aggressively obliterating other nations they hate. In that age when Jesus said that this world would be rife with wars and rumors of wars. In this age when we are shocked by the sheer volume of saber rattling and ultimatums being issued by one nation against another. And the world on the brink of implosion during that time during the times we're experiencing and the times that are not going to get any better during that time is whenever jesus makes his appearance and he takes the world that is spun out of control and grabs a hold of the reins and people that are thinking there's going to be peace but man can't find peace suddenly are confronted with the reality and the truth that the king of peace the prince of peace is now coming down and said you tried it you can't do it move over i'm taking over and then peace is coming to the world under jesus christ 
a thousand years of peace where there's not going to be any, any wars and any violence. And anybody who opposes that, it's going to be immediate execution because Jesus knows how to get peace. And it doesn't take seven years for him to negotiate it. He comes and he says, I'm back. I'm taking over. And the king of peace, the prince of peace, will rule from the city of peace and there will be peace. Number three, there will be confusions in the last day. And naturally, you understand, with the aforementioned things exercised by the powers of hell in order to deceive and destroy the delusions and the illusions, that's obviously going to leave a lot of people confused. There will be these illusions about what is true and what is not. But there's the attack of the truth busters already at work today, poisoning the mind and the understanding of our society. The truth busters, the enemies of truth, are hard at work in spreading all of the propaganda that they can. They obviously are infiltrating our, our entertainment. You can't, you can't watch a television program or a movie that isn't infiltrated with propaganda and a slant on how you ought to think about your world or how you ought to think about social issues. Gradually, these propagandists are taking over the curriculum in our schools. And they know if they can get the children already poisoned, that they've got the next generation. Derek shared a little bit with me. He's going to uh, Western Illinois University. And oftentimes they'll get into discussions and in a class of maybe 25, 30 students. It's very obvious that all of them have already drunk the Kool-Aid. They've already made up their minds on issues that they don't have a clue what they're talking about. And Derek stands there as the one person who dares to speak the truth, who dares to go against political correctness, who dares to use his brain to think, and takes on the whole class, takes on all 30 of them. And I don't think Derek's the only one. I think we've got others here that wherever you're planted, you're doing the same thing. I think you dare to take on those whose, whose brains have gone soft, who have bought in to all the lies that have been taught them in school, in college, on television. And it's not always convenient or easy to take the stand. But it's so very, very necessary you don't give in. The propagandists are out there. It's, a, it's, it's an age of confusion. 
And it's not just in the world. There's confusion moving into the church. Pastors are finding it too costly to preach the truth because they lose people out of their congregation who don't like the truth. And those people hold the purse strings and they, to the budget, and they know that. There's pastors who, who fear losing uh, megachurch status, if they water, uh, and so they water down the truth and avoid making uh, this political, politically correct society feel uncomfortable in the church. And then there's something called an emerging church movement that, that we're well aware of. Uh, I don't know if you've heard it or not, but it's led primarily by young pastors from the millennial generation that they bring a revised theology to the pulpit. I don't know how much you're aware of in what's happening, but the charge is being led by these young millennialists from the pulpit that uh, obviously they, they are approving of some of the social issues that we combat, such as the, uh, the gay marriage issue. And from the pulpit, they're, they're saying, so what? It's no big deal. God loves everybody. It's cool. And they are going through theological revisionism. That's not the only issue. They're preaching that, Hell is not real. God is a God of love. He wouldn't send anybody to hell. But that's not all. They're preaching, they're, they're dismissing the rapture of the church. It's, it's not relevant teaching anymore. There is not going to be any rapture of the church they're teaching. They're doubting even that there's going to be a second coming. They're symbolizing so much of the book of Revelation that they're just explaining these things away. Everything's going to continue to get better and better until we finally achieve that millennial status where everything is peace totally flies in the face of what the Bible is teaching us. Truth is being compromised in the pulpit. But those churches where they're feeding on that, they're going away believing that that's the way it's going to be, but it's lies. Rob Bell, one of the foremost names in emerging church movement, wrote this best-selling book that was called Love Wins. And the basic message of Love Wins is, is that he refused to acknowledge that God would judge anybody for sin, therefore he can't. But his great love is going to sweep them all into heaven someday because somehow love wins. Now, doesn't that sound really attractive? Love wins. I want to buy that book. Love wins. It sounds good to me. It's a feel-goody thing. And you read it, and you read about how much God loves people, and you just fall in love with that concept. But when you get done, do you realize you just swallowed the whole concept that God will not judge people for sin because he loves you too much? Therefore, when it's all over, he's going to say, well, come on in. It's not fair to leave you out. It's not the Bible. It's not the truth. God is a God of mercy, but he's also a God of judgment. And he's not God if he's not. And the consequence of shamefully liberal educational systems and irresponsible preachers put together and those who destroy truth with their theological revisionism is we have a generation of young people today who have been lied to. Every place they go, they're lied to. They're lied to from the pulpit. They're lied to from the teacher's desks. They're lied to uh, in their entertainment. They can't separate fiction from fact. They believe everything Hollywood puts out there as though that's supposed to be normal lifestyle, and then they go out and practice it because the, Hollywood told them it's normal. They've been lied to. One of the most powerful weapons that hell has for the last days is its propaganda. It began back whenever Satan used the propaganda against Eve. He said, did God really say? 
And that worked so well for them back then that they discontinued. And volumes of propaganda out of hell have been published since. No wonder this generation is confused. No wonder this generation is drifting into meaninglessness. No wonder they have very little use for spiritual things from God. Their parents bought into the lies. Their friends are swallowing the lies. They're clinging to them like they're eternal truths. The world around them is equally deceived. Hollywood promotes the lies of hell with a coating of sugar and a fancy package. Madison Avenue perpetuates the lies just to sell their products. I recently read about a young woman who underwent this sex change operation so she could live her life of a man as a man, only to discover after she did that how empty unfulfilled, lonely, and confused she really was and ended up in total depression and suicidal because she'd been lied to. And she believed the lie. But when she got through the other side discovered she had been lied to wasn't the truth at all. They were promised a pathway to happiness and fulfillment. And this world is just trying to encourage people just to be yourself. The problem is they're so confused they don't know who they are. How can you be yourself if you don't know who you are? You don't have an identity you can ever connect with until you find your identity through Jesus Christ. This is an age of great confusion. There's great spiritual confusion. People are clamoring for bogus religions and spurning the truth, the clear, plain truth of God. There's gender confusion. No longer do people accept the hard fact that chromosomes absolutely determine your gender. It's not determined by the clothes you wear or the choice you make. It's determined by your chromosome. End of discussion. But they're confused. There's an identity confusion because the young people just don't know who they are. They're marking up and carving up their bodies in search of trying to find out who they are. There's moral confusion because they threw out the Bible. They threw out the compass. They threw away the map. And today's culture defines morality for them on a whim and it changes every day. What was shocking and absolutely morally repugnant and reprehensible just a few years ago has quickly become chic and popular today. I just read the other day that there's a, a, a wave of movies coming out for the fall and the winter season out of Hollywood. And so many of these are movies that, that are focusing on on can practically be called pornography. The scenes that are being included in it, the subject matter that is on it, is just a wave of movies that are going there because it makes money. Because this is where uh, the, the young culture has learned to find their fulfillment and their identity. And they're catering to them and telling these things are okay, but it's not biblical. And just because it's not biblical, what does that mean? It has to do with eternal life. It has to do with living for God. It has to do with peace and happiness that everybody wants so much, but they'll never find it, chasing these ghosts and these visions. It's only through God who loves you, who has a plan for you, who wants you to live the way He wants you to live because He wants you to be fulfilled and happy in Him, and you can't find it in the lies of the world. In this sick and twisted age of illusions and delusions and confusions, it's critically important that we cut through the fog and we find the truth. Born again, child of God, you need discernment to separate the cheap charlatans from the preacher who speaks with biblical authority. Seeker, you need the eyes of your understanding open so you can see the truth of God's word. Don't you be 
fooled by clever signs and slogans and popular myths and hell's incessant talking points. Don't you look any further than the empty tomb because it's proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter said we did not follow cleverly devised fables when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now that's truth. It might shock you to know that British scholar Joseph Atwill is going to hold a symposium in London on the 19th of this month. He is going to share his research with the public in which he purports to have discovered evidence that the New Testament was written entirely by first century Roman aristocrats and they entirely fabricated the story of Jesus just to settle people down to give them a religion to cling to. Therefore, the entire New Testament is nothing but a fairy tale written by the aristocrats to keep the peasants happy. There was no Jesus. There was no Paul. There was no, there was no Peter. There was no disciples. There was no apostles. And he's going to, and I can guarantee you, people are going to go and listen to that garbage, and they're going to go away and say, well, see there, the expert says, there was no Jesus. There was no New Testament. I want to tell you something. There's a lot of people who died because they believed it was true. There was a lot of eyewitnesses who were tortured for their faith that they did not give up because they knew it was true. They didn't do that because some, because some Romanist aristocrat wrote a fairy tale. They died knowing what they believed in. And the truth was paid for by the blood of the martyrs. Total nonsense. But it's the confusion that is coming in the last days. It's very refreshing that Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia shared his faith very recently before a bank of reporters. And in that, in, in that uh, speech before the reporters and sharing his faith, he said he believed things like he believes the Bible, he believes heaven, he believes in hell, he believes in Satan. And one young female reporter uh, was stunned that this Supreme Court justice was living in the Stone Age. And he looked at her and he called her out and he said to her, you're looking at me as though I'm weird. Don't you believe in heaven and hell? And she said, I do not believe in heaven and hell as though to say, I don't know anybody that does. What rock did you crawl out from under? And Scalia quickly said that her disbelief would not exempt her from going to one of those places when she dies. Your disbelief does not make hell one degree cooler. Your ignorance does not change the truth of God's word. Now Jesus said there would be distress of nations with perplexities. And the word perplexities means problems that have absolutely no solution. The last days will be marked by unsolvable complications and problems. We're in a big mess in this country. How many think we're going to get it straightened out next year? How many think 10 years from now we're going to get it straightened out? How many think about 40 or 50 years we're going to have a, It's going to be worse. It's an unsolvable problem. I don't care who you put in. It's an unsolvable problem. We're in a mess. We're not coming out. We're going deeper. And it's not just us. It's nations of the world that have unsolvable problems. Because Jesus said these things must happen. But don't panic. 
We've been spending more than we earn for too long. And our solution is just to print more money. I wish I could do that at the house. For crying out loud, if the government can do it, why can't I have me a little printing press? When Ann and I run out, I said, don't worry, dear, I'll be back. It's unsustainable. For our nation, it appears it's all over but the funeral. There are perplexities that can't be solved by human wisdom. Are you getting this? Jesus said it would come to this. He said it's going to happen, and it's here. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to cause unfounded fear. I'm not trying to preach some sensational end-time myth to disturb you. I have a responsibility to tell you the course the world is on and how the Bible said that was going to be reality. And here we are. You need to be aware. You need to have your eyes wide open. I'm not trying to work you into a panic. Never once did Jesus counsel people to panic during the chaos. He told you not to worry. He told you not to panic. He told you to hold on. He told you to be faithful. He told you to occupy till he comes. He told you to keep looking up. He told you to don't despair. But most definitely, he told you don't buy into the illusions. But the one redeeming truth is this. Jesus is coming back again. Young people here today, has anybody ever told you that? Do you believe, do you understand, young people? Do you understand what I'm telling you? Bible-believing Christians believe Jesus is literally coming back to take over this world one of these days. Has anybody ever told you that? Do you understand that? We believe he's coming back. We're looking for him any minute. What I've done in this sermon is try to heighten your understanding. It's very near. It's very soon. He's coming back. And for all the mess we see in the world, do you give it another 200 years? For running out of resources, do you give it another 100 years? For the nations being at each other's throats... And the ability to obliterate entire nations from the face of the world with their nuclear power, do you give it another 25 years? Or are you believing that somehow we're going to achieve peace? Peace, peace, peace and safety. There will be no peace. Could there be some ebb and tide before we get there? Sure there could. Have the great swelling. It could, it could subside a little bit, but it's next wave it's going to be worse. understand what I'm saying? He's coming. Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, this place is going to be his. He's not going to have to fight against armies that will challenge him and give any... The Bible says he will come, he will destroy Antichrist with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. 